couple of verses, and then last week just a three or four more verses, and uh, we're probably only going to get about three here tonight. But in Romans chapter 12, the spiritual gifts, and we're going to be- begin in verse 6. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And now, of course, it, uh, it, it sort of changes gears when it gets to verse 9, so we're almost going to have to to take these three verses here tonight, but the truth is, uh, it'll be all we can get done, I think, here tonight in the time we have allotted, but it says, in verse 6, having then differing according to the grace that is given us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Now, we already went over this, this portion of it, not, but I'm just going to go a little, bit, a little bit more with it. Uh, it's, it's very important, just kind of a rehash during this time and before, while the Bible is being written and completed for us, prophecy was by inspiration. So this book is written by inspiration, and they were prophets. They prophesied, and they, uh, they were men of the Old Testament, talked about, and really primarily talking about futuristic things, but, but uh, there were men in the New Testament, of course. But today, when we talk about prophecy, what we're really talking about is a, is a man that uh, a, a prophet proclaims the truth and reveals the error, a preacher in many ways, but not, honestly, not all preachers are prophets. Uh, we'll, we'll see that. A prophet can often be very absolute by, uh, about what he believes. Uh, if you're going to be a prophet, that's, that's somebody that really proclaims truth because he's very intense about truth. And uh, he reveals Eric because he's a very intense about truth, and he's very intense about justice, and he's very intense about righteousness, and that's kind of the, the, the markings of a prophet. It said in um, uh, Peter is really a good example. I didn't say this last week, but Peter is really a good example. Peter preached and proclaimed the truth of the gospel uh, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Let's see if I can get up there. If you see that prophecy, it says, proclaims the truth and reveals the error. The example of the prophet is Peter, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And so it's where it's just, okay, we're talking about sin and righteousness and you need to get right. And this is kind of, Peter was that type of mentality and, uh, and, but it, then it, but what we talked about last week, again, if you notice down at the bottom, it says weaknesses and on the flip side of every gift and every talent, everything that everybody has, there's always a weakness that we have to be careful of. And if you are what you would call a prophet, if you feel like you have the gift of prophecy and honestly, uh, you think, well, a, a prophet, uh, in you know, is always a preacher, but but other people can have the gift of, of prophecy, being a prophet, and by that just meaning they see things in black and white. They see things in right or wrong. They see things in, you know, it's, it's, it's justice or injustice. That's just the way they, they see things, and they really want things that are wrong to be made right. And it's really a struggle when things that are wrong aren't made right. Uh, that's, that's just, just really frustrating when there's something out there that you cannot make right. 
uh, when you see it and you know it's a wrong happening. And, and uh, that's why, you know, guys like me, the people like me, but I say, honestly, uh, you know, I, I, I say that, you know, Brooks a lot, uh, she's got a whole lot of me in her. She sees things that way. And, and it's hard when you see something, an injustice that's not being made right. And it's, you know, here's the problem. We've got to let God do it. And we got to let, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's, and he, he not only will take care of it, he'll do it in his time. But it's hard for the prophet to let go of that and let that happen. It's really hard to do that. And it's something you have to really work on because it's a weakness, a weakness to be uh, judgmental, condemning of those who fail to live according to the Scripture. You just get frustrated really quickly uh, at those who do not. And so uh, that's... Uh, that. And then we go to verse 7. If you look at verse 7, the next gift is the, the gift of ministry. Gift of ministry. And ministry is another term for it in, in the way this is explained. It's a, a, is service, is uh, the servant. And we mentioned this a little bit last week, but again, I feel like I want to tie them all together, bring them all together. But the gift of ministry is service in various ways. It's, it's practical application of the Word of God to daily living. It's when you just come and, and you say, okay, God says we ought to treat people this way. We ought to help people. We ought to love people. We ought to do pe-. Well, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, that's who I am, and that's what I want to do. The person with the gift of ministry, ministering or service is a person that enjoys doing physical work, helping others or the church. And that's somebody that, that just all the time, uh, they just say, what can I do? Or they just jump in and do it. Or if there's something that needs to be done, they're the ones that are going to show up immediately to, to be done. And almost uh, to hate to start throwing that because I'm not sure I'll do it on everyone, but, but when the things come into my mind, I'll say it. But, but from what I've observed uh, since I've been here, Brother Rogers is, has this gift of ministry. He, he uh, hey, look, I don't even have to say I need you there or it needs to be done. It's just I got it done. I, I took care of this, I got this fixed. And, and, you know, uh, that's amazing. Uh, we, we've spent, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars because those arms on the lawnmower keep breaking, okay? Uh, uh, we found out when I cut the grass last time, it broke again after the guy told me, hey, I made it so it's not ever going to break again. That's what he told me. It won't ever break again. I guess ever is not ever a long time. But, uh, but uh, Brother Rogers just called me and said, I got it fixed. Now, I don't know how he did it. I don't know what he did. It might have been super glue. I don't know. But the fact is, it was a uh, uh, great tape. Thank you. Okay, he put tape on it. But the fact is that he had the heart to do that, and that's what a servant does. And and so uh, the weakness of this person, as you said, well, I'll, I'll go to the example first. The example uh, of ministry is Timothy. And you look at Philippians chapter two, verse nineteen. It says, "But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that." Uh, all, that I also may be of good comfort. Unto, uh, I, boy, I'm, I'm struggling to read. When I know your state, for I have no man, this is the key here, no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. This is somebody that cares about people, and, and the implication is, is that it's, it's more than, than just he emotionally cares. It's some, that care there is somebody that's actually acting it out and taking care of them. And so, 
And actually, when you continue to read on there, and I, I didn't have room to put it up there, but verse 21 says, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, listen, talking to Tim- Timotheus, Timothy, that as a son with a father, he hath served me, uh, he hath served me in the gospel. Again, the word served, ministry, service. This is Timothy. He was a servant to Paul. And so that servant. And, and I gave you a little bit of that but, uh, last week, but weakness, uh, they can overload. And this is so important. We have servants in our church. Now, it's, it's very important that the servant does not overload themselves. Now, uh, I'll be honest with you. It's something that I try real hard to watch. It's something I try to, to guard against. It's something that I try to keep uh, you know, watching out for, for folks that have that tendency to overload because I know I, I'm married to one of them. So I, I know you got to, sometimes you just got to pull back. You just got to say, okay, we're not going to do this, this one thing. And, uh, and so, uh, because you can't overload. Like I gave the example and I give it again in case somebody wasn't here last week, but, but you know, with Joe Beth, I had to, over the years, she would take on and take on and take on and take on and take on responsibilities. And then we had family of six daughters and, and, uh, the, she worked with me with the services ministry, which was about 40 out of 48 hours every weekend. And, and besides doing everything else and women's missionary society and, and, and you know, the blue denim and lace after school and all these kind of things she was doing. And I would have to pull her in sometimes, set her down and say, okay, we're going to go through this list and we're going to call out some, some of these are going to go. Some of these are just, we're going to get rid of them. And it would be so hard for her to let that go because that's who she is. She's a servant. And so uh, that's the weakness is getting overloaded. It, that's, it's a wonderful gift. It's, the church can't exist without the people with this gift. It really can't. I mean, you, you need it so desperately, but you got to be careful. If you are truly, if you're truly a servant, now you may be somebody that just says, uh, okay, you know, yeah, I'll help out here or there. I'll do that a little bit. You know, I don't mind. But somebody that just says, you know, I've got to be involved in everything because the job's got to get done. That's the one that needs to be careful. And honestly, that's the one that needs somebody that's sort of over them that says, time out. You're not doing that. Okay? So, uh, uh, and if you don't have that somebody, come to me. And if it's something I need done, I'll tell you, go ahead and do it. And so, no. Uh, the next gift is teaching. Don't have a lot of time, but the teaching. The teacher is a a person is passionate about researching, discovering, and validating truth. Now, the teacher is somebody that loves to research, loves to study, loves to, to look for it. Now, you know, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy truth. I enjoy finding truth. But I, the teacher is somebody that can go sit away for the, for the next week with their books and just research and research and research and research. They love to do it. They love to research. They're passionate about researching. But they're not just getting information. The teacher, this gift, is one who's researching to validate what has been said or what is being taught to validate or validate the truth, to make sure that what's being really said is really true. And again, we have those uh, that, are in, that are in here. They're, I believe the people that have that gift. And so 
He that teaches. The person is passionate about discovering, researching, validating truth, and the importance about the accuracy of the truth, especially doctrinal truth. Uh, this is very, very important to them. They, they like to, to research and really search out and search the Scriptures. And again, this is very necessary uh, for the growth of the church. It's very necessary for discipleship. It's necessary for people to grow. You've got to have the teacher. You've got to have that person that just, look, okay, the, uh, uh, again, I said I'll just, when it, when it jumps into my head, and I'm not, I'm not sliding anybody, I'm not doing anything like that, it's just whatever pops in my head, but I've walked over, when we go over to, to have our soul winning meeting, we walk over to the, to the dining area, and when you get to the dining area, that entire, uh, I started to call it a chalkboard, but that's not chalkboard, whatever that thing is, that whiteboard, that whole thing's slap full of information. Okay, that's where Brother Hopper teaches, and right now he's teaching on Genesis, and I, I don't believe it's that much stuff in a Genesis. <laughs> but it's just full of information, and, and it's so much information, and here was the killer. I started just to erase a little bit of part of it so I could draw a map on it, and I was scared to do that and didn't want to do it, but everybody's telling me, oh, it's okay, that's last week's stuff. He's going to erase all that and put new stuff up. I thought... Okay, that's way past, that's way past me, you know. That's, obviously, it's way past me, okay. That's just not, who I, but that's, that's somebody that researches and loves to teach. And so, and again, we got teachers in here, so I know there's other people that have the gift of teaching, uh, although, you know, not every teacher has a gift of teaching, but we have teachers in here that, that have that gift of teaching. So, now, the teacher studies the Bible diligently comparing Scripture with Scripture and uses sound methods for analyzing the information they glean. He desires to build others through his teaching. Now, that's the key. He desires to build others through his teaching. Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 uh, it says this, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order uh, most... I'm sorry, I got sidetracked here. Right. In order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Luke, as you can see up there, an example of uh, this teacher is Luke. And the way, again, it's, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, but God, and that's a, a circular kind of thing that we talk about, but that he also, God, used this man of this kind of personality to, to write. But, uh, but, but Luke was a teacher. Luke was a researcher. Luke was very intent about what he put down. Uh, he said that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. And so this is the evidence of a teacher. Now the danger, you look up there at the danger, and, uh, and I might spend just a few minutes on this. The danger or weakness is being caught up in the pride of his study. Here's the danger of weakness, and, and, and to be honest with you, a lot of what we have out there today as pastors in a, many of the churches in America today, they're in reality are teachers. And by that I mean this, they are researchers and they have great minds, they have many of them, I believe almost photographic minds, they, they, they study and have a really dynamic illustrated messages and information and, and great depth into their information. Here's the, what I'm seeing, though, and I'm seeing it from, from every venue almost, 
And that's the, the weakness is being overlooked. The weakness, the danger or weakness is being caught up in the pride of his study. A teacher must be settled in the absolute truth of the Word of God rather than his own mind and his intellect. He can begin to believe he is right because of his reason and research regardless of the plain truth of Scriptures. Sometimes a teacher wants to research so much that he bypasses the truth. He just, he, he misses it because the truth is often very simple, but he, he struggles with it being too simple because it's got to be researched. It's got to be dug out. It's got to be, it's got to be something that really only somebody who would dig like he will dig will find it. So when somebody else has the answer or has the truth, it's, it, they struggle with that because you don't have the intellect or the knowledge or the study ability to do this. He can begin to refuse the simplistic truth in search of the deep truth, which he believes he can understand, but the average or normal Christian cannot. The teacher is vital to keep us right on doctrine and truth, but he himself must keep the Word of God as the final authority. And the problem is, is the teacher usually has the better mind. The teacher usually has that mind that, that he picks up a, a book and, and, and say this is just a, a biography. He picks up that biography and he's going to read through it this afternoon or this evening. He's going to finish it all. And when he gets done, he's going to be able to tell you about 90% of what was in there. He's going to be able to quote dates. He's going to be telling you about, he's going to tell you about everything he read. Now, most of us, if we finished it, which we probably would not, but if somebody came up and said, they come up to me after I finished one and say, who wrote it? I don't know. They really do. I mean, like, well, uh, you know, what was your favorite chapter? I don't know. Now, I went through and marked a few things so I can go back because I can't remember, but I'll go back and I'll go, oh, yeah, that was something I thought was good when I read it. But the teacher's not that way. He, boy, he just gets in the information, information, information. Now, here's the problem. Eventually, he starts to believe that whatever he decides is true. But that's not always the case. Not if you're not yielded to the Spirit of God. Is this making sense to you at all? You've got to stay yielded to the Spirit of God and realize God is the teacher. And no matter how great your mind is or how great your IQ is, or whether you've got a photographic memory or not, information does not equate necessarily to truth. And we've got to be very careful about that. And so, man, I'm going to run out of time. The next gift is exhortation. Exhortation. And I'm going through these way too fast, but we're going to go back through another study. But this is really just overview because it's here in Romans in chapter 12 where we are. But exhortation, the exhorter, this person wants to see believers grow in spiritual maturity. And again, we have those in our church that they want to see them grow. Brother Allen got really excited when I, when I months and months ago that I, that I Asked him, I said, you know, we need a new converts class. We need a, or, or something, uh, somebody new to the church. We need a foundations class. And we need something to teach people 
uh, uh, the basics of what we believe. Man, he jumped on that. He was excited about that. He, he grabbed hold of that. Now, I didn't know he was going to take 17 years to do it. But, yeah. 26-week course, he's at 75 weeks. But we're going to get it. But, uh, but no, you know what? He wants, he, forgive me, but, but I know this. If you're part of his class, he's going to check on you. If you're a part of his class and you weren't there, he's going to find out where you were. He's going to search for you. You say, why, he just wants you in his class? No, he wants you to grow. He wants you to grow. Now, all right, exhortation. For he that exhorteth on exhortation. This is the person who wants to see believers grow in spiritual maturity. The exhorter is to the believer what a poker is to a fire in a fireplace. Anybody ever done, built a fire in a fireplace or a wood stove? You take that poker when it looks like it's almost dead it's all, and you, you see just a little bit of ember and you start stirring it up and start poking around and if you get something and all of a sudden a little flame will come. That's, that's what the exhorter is. It's somebody that just wants to kick the flame up. Trying to, I used to tell them back in college, people would say, man, that guy that came out of your ministry, boy, he's on fire. You, boy, you really did a great job with him. You'd, and I would say, look, man, I didn't do anything with him. Uh, he already had a flame inside of him. I just didn't put it out. You know, because they, it's there. My whole thing is I'm trying to fan it. You know, I didn't start the flame. He already had it. Those that didn't have the flame didn't stay long enough for me to slap them around the fan it. The, um, now, the exhorter wants to stir up his fellow believers to the reality that Christianity is not just rules and regulation and theology, but it's for real life living. The exhorter wants them to see what it really means to be a Christian. Really means to, to serve God. Really means to, to have a different life than what's out there. The exhorter is an encourager of the heart and is often involved in the ministries of counseling, teaching, and discipling. Now, this exhorter would be Paul, and I didn't have to place uh, the example, it would be Paul, Romans 12, 12 through 21, what we're already going to study, so I'm only going to just read a little bit of it, but it says rejoicing in hope. This is what Paul is saying to the the people there in Rome, uh, he said, rejoicing at home, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saying, giving the hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. And he goes on and on and on, trying to teach them but trying to teach them, to build them, to exhort them, to show them how they can really become what Christ wants them to be. Now, the weakness, as you see up there, the weakness is exhorting others to accomplish something outside the sovereignty of God. Now, that, what it means is, is that you get so pumped up to, for somebody to, you know, to, to do something and, and to to, to grow in, in, in grace for the Lord, that you may jump the gun and really encourage somebody to do something before God's ready for them to do it. And can I tell you, one of the things that's really, it's, it's, it's hurt a lot of people, uh, they, they really move too fast. We put them into things they weren't ready to do. We, put, we gave them too much responsibility when they weren't ready for that responsibility. 
We put too much on them. And the, the exhorter uh, doesn't want that. The exhorter uh, or the weakness of the exhorter is doing this, encouraging somebody. Oh, man, yeah, you need to get involved. The, the exhorter will encourage the servant to take on one more task. I guess that's my best. The servant probably doesn't need to take on one more task, but the exhorter thinks, yeah, man, go for it. That's a great idea. I think you ought to do that. Well, you know, I think we've got to build another building. Hey, I think you ought to do that, Joe Beth. Go ahead. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think we ought, to, we ought to take 10 more buses. Yeah, I think you ought to do that. Well, there's some things that maybe aren't, that's not what God wants right now. So it's kind of like me saying to Kobe, yeah, I think you ought to go to Africa right now. Amen? But you did. You survived. Didn't help you a lick. But all right, here we go. No. The next gift is giving. Giving. And I got to switch this up here. You can see that up there. Don't y'all love the way I, I work so hard to get this so you can see it up there? Isn't it amazing? Come on, a little bit more than that. Yeah. I'm so uptown, man. Oh, shut up. I forgot to tell you, you're supposed to broaden the screens, you know? Yeah, you, he, he's supposed to, he showed it how you can do it on the TV. I forgot to have, Wayne, you know you're supposed to do that. Widescreen. Remember widescreen? Watch this. I'm exhorting you, Wayne. Watch this. He can do it. He just did it. Ah, uh, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be the whole time. Now that we're almost done. Uh, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Notice this. He that giveth, let him do it with sim- simplicity. The giver desires to use their resources wisely to help others and the church. And that key word in there is wisely. Most with a real gift of giving, they have that gift. Uh, they're not the guy that goes around, oh, yeah, man, here, you know, here and here. I'm, you know, I do that. I, I don't have the gift of giving. I just, you know, I just throw my money away. That's why I don't carry, carry it in my wallet because if it's in there, it's gone. I'm going to give it to somebody, someplace, somehow. That's really not this gift of giving. The gift of giving is somebody that, that re- okay, the gift of giving usually is somebody that God says, you know what? I'm going to give you this gift, and I'm going to allow you to have the ability to have the resources to give. That, ex- that eliminates me. And so, uh, and, but it means that, you know, somebody that, that has that ability, that, that knowledge, that uh, sense, that business sense maybe, God simply says to that person, let him do it with simplicity. This means not for recognition or reward, but with sincerity of heart. To give bountifully. It's an amazing word here. Simplicity both means that you're not doing it for recognition, but it also means bountifully. It's a dual definition, a dual word. So it means that you do, you do it. And, and honestly, most of the big givers that I've ever known, they don't let anybody know that they're, they're doing it. They'll, they'll give and they'll, they'll never say a word to anybody about it. They'll, or they'll ask you, don't tell anybody about this. Or, you know, you take, that's the way that they do. They don't want anybody to know about it. But th- this, this is the kind of person, and that true gift is somebody that does it not for recognition, not for benefit, not to get more, but they're giving it because that's what God has given. The gift has given them to make the money and to have the money, but be willing to give the money. This is primarily an outreach giving, I believe. I believe it's to give, to try to reach 
people, the world, and giving to the reach of the world, which begins with our neighborhood, of course. This is a person who wants to use financial resources wisely in order to give to meet the needs of others. And again, he, he wants, when he gives, he wants to make sure before he gives it, he's going to really evaluate it, think it through, that he wants to give it, that it's going to be used properly. Now, uh, this person is a person uh, uses his gift. is is often blessed with abundance. That when he's this person to give, he's blessed with abundance. He is given abundantly to give abundantly. Strength is he finds it, the strengths that this guy has. He f- usually finds the best buy. He budgets. He notices the need and he tries to fulfill the need. Now he believes he's not only trying to decide how much to give. You know, give God of his money. But here's the real giver. Here's the real way you know the giver. He's not seeing how much of God's money he can give. He's rather trying to decide how much of God's money should he keep. The real giver, he looks at it and he says, look, I'm not giving God part of my money. I'm not giving God part of God's money that he gave me. What I'm really trying to decide is how much of this that God has abundantly blessed me with should I keep? You know, Russell Anderson, they they said, I heard him speak years and years ago. From his own testimony, he had gotten to the point where he gave 90% of his income back to the work of the Lord, and he was still a millionaire. But he was given 90% of his income back to the Lord. Now, That's because I don't believe he thought it was his. He just decided, okay, God, how much of your money do you want me to keep? And it was 10%. Now, the example, this will be a little bit different example. The example may be be Joseph, a wealthy man who provided provided the tomb for Jesus. He did that. Uh, But I think as much as anything, uh, it might be a man like Zacchaeus, Luke 19.8. In Luke 19.8, I didn't put it up here, but in 19.8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. When he got saved, giving came right into his spirit. And he said, okay, you say, well, he, he knew he owed this to those he had he'd deceived. Yeah, but he didn't owe half of it to the poor. But he immediately said, half everything I have, I give to the poor. Now, the weakness is when this blessed giver begins to believe it's his money. And he decides who gets it and who does not. You say, well, how else is he going to do it? That's God needs to decide. And he needs to be walking with God and begging God to tell him who and where he needs to get how much he needs to give, where he needs to give, who he needs to give it to. But so many times the giver who's been enabled to give, he starts figuring it out in his head in a business sense because he's usually a businessman. So he starts saying, well, you know what? I'm going to give over here because this is the most dollar for dollar productive. I'm not going to give over here because it's not really dollar for dollar productive. Now, folks, God decides where you give it. And God may say, no, I'm sorry, I don't want it over there. I want it over here. Because God might be trying to reach one man over here. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? When we get in trouble, when we start telling God what we're going to do with it, Amen. he fails when he, when he is not ready to share his resources as God directs him to. Another way of failure, it, one way to, that the, the weakness that he has is when he starts to decide that he's the one, and through his business sense and all his formulas, he's going to decide where's the best place to put this money. The other way is, is this other, when he fails, when he is not ready to share the resources that God directed him to. When the giver can come to the point where he looks and says, I, you know, he doesn't have some other place to give it, and he's got money to give that God has given him, but he just doesn't want to give it because he doesn't think it's going to be productive. Folks, listen, you don't know what God knows. It's an error when, when he is a man who, who gives only when someone has agreed to use it a certain way according to the business principles. And, and you say, well, wow, you, you ought to make sure you give to somebody who's going to use it wisely. Listen to me, I'm not saying that this is not the wisest route, but there are times when God says to give simply because he wants you to trust him for the outcome. Amen. Our time's really about up, but a man once came to me and and wanted to give financially to the sailor ministry, and, and we really were hurt. We had $75 a weekend to feed about 100 to 120 people two meals a weekend. And if you can imagine, you know, we were, we were just digging. And, and uh, before I came into the ministry, all the workers and families had to pay a dollar apiece just to eat the meal after they work all day, come in. And I said, we're not doing that. Never again will I do that. If I have to come out of my own pocket, we're not doing that. You, they're going to go working all day. We're, they're going to eat with everybody else and not pay. And so uh, this guy came in, and boy, you think, well, this is incredible. Because he's coming in, and he's saying, I'll pay for the food every weekend. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. This is, this is amazing. And so he did for, for about a year. But during that year, he started saying, well, you know what? You need such and such equipment or this or that, so I'll, I'll buy it for you. And I thought, well, you do what you want, man. If you, it's great. Then one day he came, and uh, we, were, we had about 25 beds up in the, in the servicemen center where we had, our overflow would stay, and, and we needed a washer and dryer there. And he came, and he just came in. He bought a washer and dryer, brought it in. He said, do you have a place to hook these up? I said, yeah, this is fantastic. Put it in. A few weeks later, I came in and, and uh, went back to the, where the little closet area was where the wash and dryer was, and it had a padlock on it. I called the fellas. I said, fellas, where's this padlock from? And one of the guys said, doesn't you know about this? I said, no. And he said, uh, Mr. So-and-so put the padlock on there. Now, he gave the ministry this equipment. Now, I want you to understand this. If you're a giver, once you give it, it ain't yours anymore. Okay, so I, I went to him and I, I said, sir, uh, why is there a padlock on her? I need the key to that uh, I, because I can't be overseeing a building and a ministry that I got a part of it that I'm off limits to me. I can't do that. And he said, no, uh, he said, I'm not giving you the key because I want it used the way I want it. When I gave, you know, I, if I'm going to give you a washer and dryer, you're going to have to use it the way I say it has to be used. And I looked at him and I very kindly said, you got two choices, sir. You can either understand that when you gave it, it's not yours anymore, and you can take that padlock very nicely off today, or number two, I'm going to kick the door down. Because, and you can take them home with you. Now, folks, 
The giver errs when he thinks that now because he financially has been blessed and he can give, that he also can control. And there are many, many churches in America have been ruined by a man who has the money and he takes over because if he has the finances, he believes he has the control. But that's not the way God set it up. Everybody smiling? Everybody happy? All right, I've gone. Uh, give me one minute. Uh, no, I'm not going to finish it. I thought I'd finish at least these three verses. But I didn't. I took longer than I thought I would. My time's really up. Uh, the next one, just to give you a heads up, the next one is going to be ruling organization. Uh, and that's, that's really a great one. We need those, and we have those. And so I'm going to have a word of prayer. No, I'm not. Brother Bob's going to pray for us. Amen. Lord, again, we thank you again for just the opportunity to be together on a midweek service. Lord, thank you for what we've heard tonight. Lord, thank you for our pastor. Lord, I 